Normally when I talk about a work like this, I like to discuss the director, since directors tend to have a lot of influence on the way a film goes, and a lot of other things too, you know, game director, show director, yeah, that kind of thing, right? <clears throat> but I have to say, in this case I want to talk more about the writer, because, well, there's a certain unique tone to the visual presentation of this film, but it kind of sucks, in my opinion. It's actually one of my last notes on my notes here, is that there's just way too much with the visual distortion and the blur and the things that are being weird and stretching out, and I get what they were going for, but it just made the film kind of unpleasant to look at. Like, for several sections of the finale, I literally just wasn't looking at the film, at least not directly, I was kind of looking down here, you know, watching the film at the corner of my eye kind of a thing, rather than actually trying to watch it directly because it was causing me issues. So, um... <clears throat> Ignoring that, I do have to talk about Alex Garland, though. He's the writer. Now, you're probably thinking, who the hell is this Yahoo? And I've never heard of him, and he's terrible and awful, and you stink, Lore. Well, all of those statements are not true, but one of them is. Alex Garland did 28 Days Later, and 28 Weeks Later, and Ex Machina, and Annihilation. Noticing the trend? mostly grounded sci-fi with one quirk, and that quirk is basically the point of the work. That's the thing that helps it. And almost all of those are, to some extent or another, psychological horror. I think he's got his niche. <laughs> uh, some reasonable stuff, though. Oh, by the way, this is not the first time I've seen this film. When this was nominated, I was like, wait, is that the one with Cillian Murphy? And it was. I was like, ah, oh, dude, I have to admit, apparently this film did not do super well financially, but one of the things that I've heard most people complain about is, oh, God, it's so unrealistic. I have a concept I call the cloud effect. It's a lorium. It refers to when something has a ridiculous premise that leads to a good work. I like this film. Even rewatching it, I actually do like it. Uh, up to a certain point, we'll cover that later. But look at the cast we've got here. So we got Cillian Murphy, we got Chris Evans, by the way, this is going to sound weird because I've seen this film before, but I didn't know Chris Evans was in this. As in, he wasn't a name that was someone who would register for me until more recent events. Uh, we had Rose Byrne. She's in this. My Michelle Yeoh, that's another actress I didn't actually notice, which is unfortunate because she is a great actress. And, and ironically, she does a great job on this bit. Uh, we had Cliff Curtis, who was in here, and Benedict Wong. Oh, and, of course, Mark Strong. This... It's not an A-list cast, you know, it, it, by which I mean it's not a bunch of people who will demand a lot of money. It's just a cast of a lot of good actors. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why this work works for me. The first 50 minutes, actually it's, it's closer to 73 minutes, of the film is basically all character piece and hard science fiction drama. With the ridiculous premise in mind. By the way, fun fact, they actually brought in NASA consultations and, uh, oh, what was his name? Did I write it down? <sighs> something Cox. It's like Brian Cox or something like that, who was on, in order to be a science consultant. They talked heavily about how psychology affects people when they go into space and all of the different, well, I say psychology, it sounds so generic. There's so many things we do naturally here that are part of our routine. In space, you don't need to do half of those. Not doing those can mess you up in the head. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Stuff like that. Um, 
You know, just, just, just little things like that. One of the other things they did, though, the visual effects director made a point of ensuring that, and you've noticed this, I'm sure. Uh, I actually didn't know this was intentional until I started going through this time, and I was like, oh, yeah. The color usage is very contrasted. Just about everything inside the ship is every gradient except for red, orange, yellow. So all the warm colors are outside, which leads to this huge visual contrast and distinction between the two. Be honest, how many of you noticed that? No shame in it. Good visual design is like good audio design. You'll never notice it if it's doing its job properly. And that kind of immediate visual distinction thing is an awesome aspect of this film. There's a lot of actually really good visual medium in this film. The set design is fantastic. The camera position is amazing. I really like what they do with the oxygen uh, garden, which was also a, a suggestion by the advisors. We also see a lot of good ship tra uh, ship transitions, excuse me, camera transitions, like between uh, the ship and its reflection and, you know, uh, the conversation going to the camera, drifting into someone who's looking into his comm signal. And just there's a lot of good camera usage here. The early bit is mostly uh, spent around expositing, but it does several things very efficiently. My favorite is when Searle is sitting there in the Sun Observatory and he says, uh, make it visible. Okay. What is this 2%? That's it? <laughs> Turn it up to 4%. 4% would destroy you. Oh. Uh, what's safe? 3.1% for 30 seconds. Ooh, okay. It's a very quick and efficient scene, but not only does it help to establish the kind of person Cyril is, but it also helps to establish how absolutely terrifying the main antagonist of this film is. The sun. Some of you may have heard me talk a few times, it doesn't come up often, about how terrifying I find the sun. And the idea of being like surface level or right above a star is, is just the kind of thing that just makes me go... And it, it gets to me in a way very few things do. So you can imagine how watching this film was like, because this film does an excellent job of portraying the sun as a horrifyingly deadly laser... And I, I'm just looking at this like, good God! 3.1%, okay. I'm sorry to gush, but it's really, really good stuff. And of course, this will then serve as a good contrast between Cyril and Pinbacker later. It could be argued that Cyril could turn into Pinbacker. The actor, uh, Cliff Curtis, flat out says, no, there's no way. And given his self-sacrifice later on in the film, I would tend to agree with the actor's assessment. So... They talk about the stress. We see very quick, again, we start well into the mission, which is a good choice. You know, they've been out here for, what, years at this point? And um, it's a very good choice to start them in mid-mission and admit and showcase the idea that things are messed. There's the fight, of course, between Chris Evans, that is to say, uh, Mace and uh, Kappa. Sorry, I, I I stuttered over that because I'm like, that can't possibly be his name, but, I mean, this is the era of Twitch, right? Anyways, <clears throat> Kappa and Mace, they have their fight, there's this argument, he's got to go into this, this Earth room, he's got to see things that remind him of things on Earth, and he's got to chill out, and he's got to ch you know, shave his beard and cut his hair and all just sorts of stuff like that, you know. Trying to chill out. And we see that everyone's a little bit on edge. Of course they are, because as we have already been exposited to, Earth is doomed. 
I've talked about this concept a few times recently, because it just keeps coming up for some reason. I swear you guys plan this. Remember, I don't select what I ruminate on. You guys do. This is just kind of been happening. But anyways, something that is actually doomed is not something that is in danger. That's, that's not doomed. It's not like there's... The word is so overused. When I say doomed, I mean that very literally. I mean, you are on top of a building that is falling from the atmosphere down to the ground. And you are conscious and alive and aware and awake as you plummet to your death. You are doomed. And that's exactly the situation we have back on Earth. That's exactly what everyone's having to deal with. This They, they did this big last-ditch mission, which might work, and we never heard from it again. So now we have a second one. And, as uh, Kappa points out later on in the film, they literally don't have enough material to launch another one of these bombs. It doesn't exist. This is the last shot. So they show this sh stress. They show how they deal with it. Uh, by the way, I love the fact that a trained shrink is on board. Because, of course, there would be. There would have to be a psychologist on board. A sh shrink, excuse me. Psychologist, a psychiatrist, excuse me. I'm getting those two screwed up. I apologize. I do that a lot. The movie t likes to paint Mace as an unreasonable antagonistic person early on, which I find fascinating because he's arguably the hero. We also get this wonderful bit where the captain, Kaneda, is looking at or Canada, is looking at a video of a Pinbacker, you know, Mark Strong's character. And he talks about how there was this asteroid, you know, spray, which nearly destroyed a ship and nearly killed everyone. It was beautiful. Cute. This then leads to the first decision and power of the early part of the movie. So they discover... I mean, I'm kind of skipping over a lot of really great character atmosphere and suspension things. Please forgive me. It's just, there's only so many t ways I can say, this is awesome, and then move forward. You know. What I do want to comment on is, the power of this movie is in how quiet and insignificant the points of suspense are. When you arrange your scenario very specifically, even the tiniest thing can suddenly be some overwhelming deal. Like 1.1 degrees. Trey alters their course, doesn't alter the sun shield, by 1.1 degrees. Horrific damage is done to the ship. This is the drama. This is the suspense. And they then spend a fairly large amount of time trying to deal with this. They have, uh, they, they decide to go out, you know, um, Kappa and the captain, Kaneda, or Kaneda, they, they pronounce it a couple different ways in the movie. One person said Kanida. Anyways, they, they've all, they're going out. They're going to repair it because it has to be repaired manually because their sensors are off. Their external sensors are gone. So they get out there and they start to repair it. Then they run into a second problem. Because of that problem, now we've got this spinning, uh, the, the, the sensor, uh, sensor arm just spinning in and out of the sun, which is causing damage as the sun's rays are being reflected off the metal for the milliseconds before they get molted into slag, which causes the sun to beam into the oxygen bay, and now their uh, oxygen garden is on fire, which is a problem for many reasons. There's a fire on the ship, uh, the source of your oxygen is going away, and your oxygen is going away. 
and you see how this just kind of cascades beautifully. This then leads to Canada making his, his grand sacrifice and being the first one to die as he stands out there and, and accepts death in order to save the ship and the mission. Uh, Kappa barely survives, only because he was ordered away at the last minute. The, the, the ray shield is prepared, but now we have another problem, don't we? Because now, now we don't have enough oxygen. Now we have to go check out the first ship. It is now mandatory. Okay. Or we could kill a bunch of people. That, that's, a, that's an idea. By the way, I, I want to praise the music during this whole sequence, too. It's this low suspense beat. There's not a lot of energy, but there is a very definable pattern in the way that it's playing in the background. It's really good. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Um, <laughs> so this then leads to a bit. Uh, Cassie talks with Kappa. One of the, the themes... So we've basically exited the first act. Now things are screwed. Now the ship is doomed. The only question is, can they accomplish their mission before they die? They are screwed. They are doomed, to use the earlier thing. And of course, how does everyone deal with that? Trey basically lapses into a, a, a coma, for all intents and purposes. He becomes severely depressed to the point of actively suicidal. He then is dragged up in order to spare his life and everyone else's because he's screwed. Um, Mace is, interestingly enough, he's coping pretty well. Probably because he's the most overall heroic person, even though he is easily the most antagonistic. More on that in a minute. Kappa is just, he's looking forward to all this. Cassie's afraid. And we see just, everyone reacts differently because that's the question, isn't it? When you are on that building plummeting down to the earth. Don't ask how this scenario was set up. When you are doomed, how do you deal with it? Everyone reacts differently. And I love the simple, quiet character moments that per pervade this section of the film. So, you'll notice there's a bit of a pattern here, by the way. Uh, things are going well. You know, they've got a plenty of oxygen. In fact, they have tons of oxygen, more than enough to deal with the, the return trip and everything. This is going to be awesome. Uh, oh, and then uh, they decide to go detour to the Icarus 1, which leads to a problem, which leads to a problem, which leads to a problem. But okay, we found the Icarus 1. Good news. They've got water. They've got another payload. And, of course, they've got tons of, of plants, which we can use to generate oxygen. Awesome. But then we, that leads to a problem, which leads to a problem, which leads to a problem. And you notice this pattern. The moment things start to look like they're going well, that's when you should be worried. Again, for something like this, and a work by Mr. Garland, that seems to be his approach. No, no judgment. I'm not saying that as a derogatory. I like it. it. It allows you to see the wave coming. Especially since you're not sure what the wave's going to be. It's entirely possible that the thing going wrong is not what you suspect. Indeed, that is one of the major elements of this, is not... Will something go wrong? What will go wrong? In this case, the airlock gets burst. That's the big one for the second portion here. And so now everything is screwed. And they come up with this completely insane plan to try and get people over there. Harvey tries to take the suit for himself. Uh, that doesn't work out that well. But then they come up with an alternate plan. It's okay. 
You get the suit because you're the most important. That's Kappa. He is. That, that is. That's math. At a certain level, math is all that matters, you know? So, the guy with the suit is the guy who can make this thing happen. He is the most important person on the mission, period. Everyone else gets to wrap themselves up and launch themselves out, but now we need to leave one person behind. Because remember that main computer's down because the sabotage done by Pinba... Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> done by some mysterious foe who's definitely not Mark Strong. Wink, wink. Well, that means Cyril ends up staying behind. And, of course, Cyril decides to die via sun. Which uh, is actually portrayed as pretty horrifying. But, you know, whatever, whatever. <sighs> I wonder what happened to the rest of them to decide to do that. Or if Pinbacker just do sabotaged the mission to the extent where they couldn't do anything else. So, oh well, death. Henry dies like a punk. <laughs> Trey dies. Because they have this great conversation. I actually love scenes like this. There was one in Interstellar as well. It's the dilemma scene. It's when characters sit down and they debate the dilemma that they have on their hands. And seeing how characters deal with that dilemma is something I, I personally really enjoy in fiction. So they're sitting there. The math lines up. We have enough oxygen for four people. Someone needs to die. And it should be Trey. He's, <laughs> everyone's just kind of in, in more or less unison on this one. But no, Trey's already dead. Do you think he killed himself, or do you think Pinbacker killed him? Now, I know some of you are like, well, but the actor actually said that he killed himself. And then some of you are like, well, the director said that Pinbacker killed him and, and staged it to make it look like a suicide. I, I'm with the actor on this one, personally. I don't think Pinbacker at this point really has the anything. The mindset, the skill, the subtlety, the functioning brain necessary in order to sneak in, kill a guy, basically at random, and then stage it look like it a suicide without being detected, and then leave, and then go back to the sunroom so he can be discovered by Kappa later. I don't buy that for a millisecond. That being said... Well, we're at the one hour and 13 minute mark in the film, and this is when the film loses me, because it becomes a slasher fic. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, the problem is I don't buy the way they do it. Pinbacker and his position in the arc as the saboteur? With it, absolutely. Pinbacker as Jason Voorhees stalking the ship? Uh-uh. Not only does it not work for me, but I feel it actually saps a lot of the very real drama of the first part. Remember... 1.1% was a huge deal that they spent like 10-15 minutes dealing with the consequences of, and it just went bad to worse to worse to worse. And there was very real suspense and danger in all of that. And of course, a lot of that's on the way to the actors, actually, again, all-star cast here, because they managed to get across the ideas of people who are exactly aware of how bad things are and are struggling to deal with that. And then you have a guy who's all charred to a crisp, who is stalking around the ship, somehow staying ahead of everyone and outmaneuvering everyone. Somehow, I don't, I don't buy it. You know, it doesn't work for me. No offense to Mark Strong, I actually really like Strong, but point being, coincidentally enough, I actually only have three notes after this point in the movie because 
Mace's death is horrifying. There's the visual distortion thing I actually already mentioned. But you do notice that Mace's death is the final push. It's the final thing that really convinces Kappa to say, screw it, I'm going to make this happen at any cost. And it's one of those interesting things. When you get to the point of any cost, most people probably haven't been there in real life. And hopefully, hopefully you never will be. I have been there once in my life, just once. It's a very strange place because all the calculations change. When survival and when returning and when avoiding damage and when just, you know, all of the things that are completely built up layer upon layer upon layer of us that keep us as part of a functional and normal society go away for some substantial and significant extreme reason, the calculations just go wonky. And that's exactly what happens. He does things that he would never otherwise do, which is very damaging to himself and the ship and incredibly risky, but he does it because at any cost. And so he actually manages to get out there and launch the sucker. And it turns out Cassie's on board, and so is Pinbacker. And that was the official moment. I, I literally facepalmed. In fact, if you saw me adjusting my glasses earlier, it's because I hit the side of my glasses when I was doing it, because, you know, I don't want to do this. So I guess that's actually kind of a temple palm, but whatever. <laughs> because it's like, really? You're, you're, you're launching a cube with a mega bomb into the sun, and your finale is trying to defeat a, a, a burnt guy on the... What? <laughs> no, thank you. But I want to talk about one thing before we, we wrap up, because I have one last thing to talk about here. Mace... I was keeping track of all of Mace's decisions. Check this out. Don't go to the Icarus One. He was right about that. Um, I can't... What? I can't read my own thoughts there. Uh, I don't know what that second thing is. Something about the same mission? Either way, it's something about the Icarus One. I'm sorry, I can't read my own handwriting. What the hell? Now, whatever. The next big thing is the, the fire. He says, flood it with the O2, which was the correct cause, and flooded it out. Uh, he's the one who says Kappa has the higher priority. He's the one who figures out how to cross over to the ship. He's the one who says that you have to have the unanimous vote on Trey. And, of course, <laughs> he's the one who decides to go ahead and sacrifice himself to fix the computer. And, in fact, the only thing that you know, got him killed there, although, admittedly, they were all dead anyways, but the thing that really got him killed there was that he got stuck. By the way, <laughs> you notice they foreshadowed that. He accidentally drops a wrench into the coolant, pulls it in, breaks it out, and it's like a second of just... Hunk, and he is, God, <sighs> yeah, that's, that's not a fun way to go. But I said I had one final thought. This film would actively piss me off, and I would have vetoed it. I would have pulled out my executive veto and said no thank you to this film, if not for one really, really important thing to me. They succeed. Oh, sure, the world is going to have some very serious issues readjusting to the massive climate changes and trying to figure out the food shortage situation, and they're just going to have a post-apocalypse, basically. But they will have a post-apocalypse. In other words, they survived the apocalypse. If they hadn't succeeded in this mission, they would not have. That really actually works for the... Well, I don't want to say the theme of the work, but I'm going to go ahead and say the theme of the work, because I'm an idiot. What do we do when we're doomed? Well, we see what people did when they were doomed. 
we don't get exposition on how many people of how many different nations got together, but given the multinationality thing and the fact that the director and writer were both trying to push that element, it's likely to say that most of the nations of Earth unified, humankind unified to make this happen. When humanity was doomed, they fought back. When the crew of the Icarus were doomed, they kept going. When, when individual people, and I could go down the list, when Mace was doomed, when Kappa was doomed, what did they do? They succeeded. I like that. It's a, it's a good film. If you haven't seen this film, I highly recommend it. Uh, but as you can see, it is time now for me to go ahead and cut off. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you next time, guys. Cool.